Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. We're in week one, and today I want to preach about a generational mentality. I'm going to read a, a passage of scripture. It's in the book of Jeremiah. All of it is in your notes. It'll be on your screen. And uh, let's just um, listen to what the word of the Lord has to say. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossword, crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I, I, I want you to take a moment and, and notice what the Lord is saying here. He's speaking to the children of Israel who have been carried captive, and, and, and Jeremiah the prophet has come and spoken to them and giving them a word. And, and the thing that he is saying is stand at the crossroads and look. He, he's, he's telling them, there's some things that you need to consider. I, I, I don't know about you, but uh, there is, um, I, I love maps. I, I love uh, uh, Siri giving me the map, Apple Maps, all that. I, I love to watch where I'm going, but I can remember back in the day before you had all of the technology and you would just get a map out and you would say, okay, this is where I'm headed. And you would get to those places and instead of somebody telling you, turn right here or turn left here, you would have to consider which is the best way for me to go to reach my destination. There was some thought in the traveling. It, it wasn't putting in the address and all of a sudden this is the way you go and this is how long it's going to take. It was, it was a lot of just thinking about it and, and it's really not just looking, but it's considering the way that you're going to go. I, I personally believe that if we look at our culture that we're living in, the, the country, the way of life that we have, we are obvious, I believe it's obvious, uh, standing at a crossroads. A crossroads is a place where I can go forward. It's a place where I can go back if I want to. I can turn to the right or to the left. And, and in this scripture setting, as Jeremiah is talking about a crossroads, he's actually talking about a place of decision. He's asking them to consider which way they're going to go and how their life is going to go forward. And, and the charge that is in this uh, passage of Scripture is that when we stand at the crossroads, we should ask for the ancient past. Really, what we need to ask for is the the way of wisdom. That's what it means when it's talking about the ancient past. It's talking about the way of wisdom and, and specifically it's asking for God's wisdom. And the reason that we should ask for God's wisdom in those ancient paths is because according to this passage of scripture, this is where the good way is. This is the good way for you to go. Now there are other options that you can go and and, and, and I know that some of us, most of us, let me just go ahead and say it, all of us have probably taken a wrong turn in our life at one time or another. And we found the way that we went was bumpy and, and, and hard, and, and we may even have paid a price for the way that we went. But, but when we stand at those crossroads and we make this decision, 
The, the good way is where God wants us to go. And, and even though the children of Israel here are in such a difficult place, there is wisdom that is available for them in the midst of their problems. There is wisdom that is available for them in the midst of their difficulties. And, and, and the place that they would find that wisdom is in the ancient past or the old past. In other words, this is what God is telling them through the prophet Jeremiah. Look to your history. Look, look at everything that God has done for you. And, and look at the stories that you have heard from your forefathers and 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 rehearse and and remember and bring back to to life those things that God has done and and what God has worked in your life and you see that's what God is saying here about the ancient past he's saying the ancient past are the ways of God's word that is a part of our life and the work that has been done in days gone by it's, it's going back to that way. And, and, and according to what Jeremiah has said here, it is a good way. It's a good way. And, and I want us just to really make up our mind here today that, that really the good way for us to walk is the way that aligns with what God wants for our life. I've said it hundreds of times. And if you're new to Live Church, maybe this is your first time to hear it, but there is a best life that you can live. And the very best life that you can live is not the life that you create for yourself, but it's living the life that God created you to live. It's finding the purpose that God created for you and walking in the way that he has created you to walk, going to and doing the good works that he has created you to do. I'm not saying that the best life you could ever live is a life of wealth or a life of, of, of influence or a life of possessions. I'm not claiming that. I'm claiming that my place of satisfaction and fulfillment is that place where I am aligned with what God wants to do in my life. And whatever it takes for me to get there, that is the good way. Everybody say the good way. Now, we are living in a culture that is constantly changing, right? I mean, we know that. It's constantly changing. And, and, and I would say as a 60-year-old as a man, uh, I, I have noticed in the last 15 to 20 years, the acceleration of that change has been mind-blowing. Uh, it, it has been amazing to me how technology has exploded, how different things have changed. And, and it's constantly changing and it's constantly shifting but we know that all of those changes and all of that shifting is not necessarily good. As a matter of fact, the jury is still out on what the results are going to be of the changes that have taken place in our world over the last 15 years. We won't know that until years down the road, what the impact of, of social media has been and what the impact of, of, of the, the, the division that we are feeling in our country. We won't know that uh, for years, but there is one thing that has been consistent, not changing and not shifting, and that is the God we serve. He has not changed. There is no shadow of training, uh, changing, no variableness in him. He is consistent, 
And so as, as the culture changes, this is what's taking place in our life. I, I see it all around me that as the culture changes, then the way that we act, the way that we react, the way that we interact has definitely changed and gone through a complete different type of culture than we've ever seen in the history of the world. And, and the truth is, we know that over the last 20 years, our relationships have changed with our spouses, with our family, with our children. It, it is a, a time of change. It is a crossroad, and it is a change in our society. Now, what is this verse all about? And, and more importantly, what is today and the next two weeks about in this sermon series? It, it, it's about um, how to let God's path be the one that we go down. It's about making that choice and, and letting the one who designed our relationships also define our relationships. It's about letting God have control where God is the creator. Now, I, I'm not gonna tell you that it's um, a normal thing because God's paths are strange and they're strange in this way. They run countercultural. They run against the current. They flow a different way. They're not cutting edge. Nobody is talking about the Bible as being a cutting edge book and the new technology. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of glad that it stays the same. I'm thankful for all of the updates that we get and the new phones that come out and the new technology. And man, it's just amazing to see all that. But but I'm glad they haven't come out with the Bible 2.0 or uh, the version 11. Or uh, I'm glad that the Bible is not changing. And, and while it may not be a new method, it works. The Bible works. The Word of God works. And, and it looks like to me um, that many of the new ways of the culture is not working. And it's not flowing the way that people anticipated it. And this is what I believe. I believe that the Bible and the way of God is a path worth taking. It's a path worth walking in. It's a path worth living in. Yes, God's way is different. But it's good. God's way is countercultural. But it's good. And I love how the scripture says there that when you um, follow this path and you follow these ancient ways and when you follow the work of God and the word of God, that, that you will find rest for your soul. That this is the message that is being given to the children of Israel in a difficult time. You're going to find rest for your soul. That, that, that just seems to me to be a very rich reward when I think about how we are living in a world that is full of people that are weary and full of worry. I mean, isn't that a good definition of the world that we're living in? Weary and worried. And, and we've seen that. We've seen how people are 
are, are, are seem to be weary. And, and it's no wonder because if you look at any type of, of, of schedule of history of work, we've added work weeks, we've added work days, we've, we've added to the stress, we've added to the, to the bottom line of what people have to have, what people need to bring in. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I want to find rest for my soul. And the rest is when I am seeking and I am seeing and I am walking in those old paths. This is a reward that can't be matched by anything. Rich was talking about it up here just a few moments ago about how there's nothing that can compare to Jesus. Nothing. And I believe that the world is experiencing the opposite of rest. I believe that the world is in a time of great weariness and, and worry. I, I believe that we are on the brink of some type of global change. I'm not an alarmist. I never have been. But I can tell you, I look and see the things that are taking place, and it is worrisome. It is something that it's like, okay, what is the next thing that is going to happen? Even this past week, some of the events that took place, it's like, well, how does this end up? How, how does this resolve? And what type of conflict is going to take place to resolve the things that are going on in our world? And when we don't follow God's way and we don't understand that the path that we're walking on is beyond the things of this world, then we are walking in weariness and worry. And I would just say to you this, that, let, me, let me just say this to you. If you're feeling those things, if you're feeling like your life is full of, of worry and that you're weary, weary from all of the things that are going on, I, I would just encourage you to go to the crossroads. It's not crosswords, it's crossroads. I'm not sure how many times I'll make that mistake, but that's all right. You, just forgive me. Go to the crossroads and look. Go to the crossroads and make the right decision. That, that, that same passage of scripture down a couple of more chapters, this is what Isaiah, I mean Jeremiah is saying to the people. Uh, God speaking through him. He, he says in Jeremiah 18 and 15, but my people are not so reliable for they have deserted me. L listen to this next phrase. They have burned incense to worthless idols. Somewhere the children of Israel came to a crossroads and they made the wrong decision after all that God had done for them and after all of the blessings that were in their life and all of the testimonies of the miracles that had taken place. And I want you to listen to this next part. It says they have stumbled off of the ancient highways and walk in muddy paths. What, what a decision. What, what a decision that they've made. And, and, and it says they've stumbled. It, it doesn't sound like they're making a wise decision. And I, I know that instantly when I read this, I thought, well, it's, it's man, people stumble all the time. That, that's not what this is saying. It's not an accidental stumble. One translation says it like this, which I think is more true to the original meaning. It says, they have caused themselves to stumble. They have caused themselves to stumble. In other words, they've made decisions 
that led them falling off of the way that God had chosen for them and they have stumbled from their way. They've stumbled from their ancient path. And this is the description that God gives for people who cause themselves to stumble off of the way that God has for them. They walk in muddy paths. Anybody ever walked in a muddy path before? It's hard to do. I mean, it's you, 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 that first footstep, you know, you pick up a little bit of mud. And, and that second footstep, you pick up a little bit more mud and a little bit more mud. And, and before you know it, your feet are clogged with mud. And, and as you try to move them, it gets more and more. I, I've actually lost some shoes before on muddy paths. You pull your shoe foot out, and then you're trying to figure out, where do I put my socked foot? That, that's if you wear socks, you know, if you, which, which I do. Uh, a muddy path is hard to walk in mud. Now, this is the good news that I have for you. I, I know, and I've been there. I have walked muddy paths, not just physically, but also spiritually. Is anybody with me? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Has anybody taken those turns when you felt like, I'm stuck? Let me see your hand if you feel that way. I, I know that that's been an experience that I've had many times in my life. And, and the good news that I have is it doesn't matter what path you're on, there is a God that is greater than those paths and a God that is able to put you back on the path that he has designed for you. I'm thankful that his grace is sufficient. And, and that's what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So if you're in that path where your feet are muddy and when you've fallen, you've caused yourself to stumble, it's in those moments of weakness where God's promise, the promise of the blood and the power of Jesus Christ is that my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. It doesn't matter how you feel. God's grace is stronger than your mistakes. I, I, I want you to listen to me because I want to say that again. It doesn't matter how you feel. God's grace is stronger than your mistakes. God's grace is stronger than your worry. God's, God's grace is stronger than your shame. God's grace is stronger than you blaming yourself. God's grace is stronger. And, and, and today in this message of generational mentality, our, our first family value that we want to talk about is that that God is not a one-generational God. God is a God that is multi-generational. He sees the end from the beginning. This is what the writer of Psalms chapter 78 and 4 says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Another passage in the book of Psalms, Psalm 78 Six through seven. So the next generation may know, even the children 
not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commandment. This is so powerful, and this is what God is saying. This is why people continue to walk in the old path is because we tell them about the goodness of God and we show them the word of God. I I personally believe that every family has stories And if you don't tell those stories of the goodness of God and tell those stories that have made an impact on your life from the word of God, they could die in one generation. I I was watching a documentary the other night and it was about an isolated uh, people group in in somewhere in Asia. And and the, the, the concern was that that while this very isolated group of people Uh, had their own language, they had their own traditions, they found that the children were leaving, they were going to work in the cities, they were going to get educated, and the, the, the concern was that the language was going to die. Their concern was that the stories were not going to be told. They, 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 they were talking about how, and it just hit me so hard, that in one generation, the whole history of these people could be lost. Well, I want you to tell your story to your children because I don't want the things that God has done in your life to die. I don't want it to be gone. I want them to hear the things of God. I, I, hey, tell your funny stories. Anybody have any funny vacation stories? I, I do. I have a few funny vacation stories. I have a few wonderful vacation stories. I, I, I have some sports stories about how awesome I was uh, you know how it is. You get better every year. You know, the, the, the people you were playing against were, were bigger than they were when you were actually there. And, and the feats that you perform are actually greater than, than was actually taking place on the field. And, and, and tell those stories. Tell, tell about your first car and, and, and tell about your first date and, 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 and tell about the house that you used to live in and tell something that your dad did and tell your stories. But, but don't leave out the God story. Don't leave. As a matter of fact, make the God stories a priority. And, and, and I believe that our generation needs to hear God stories. They, they need to hear the things that God has done in your life. They need to hear what the Bible has to say and what the word of God has to say and how God has provided for his people. And, and I'm going to tell you why that we need them to hear that because I see as a parent that we are in over our heads with what's going on in the world around us. We are in over our heads with things that are normal in the life of our children. The, The life of our children, they're experiencing things that we have never seen before and never even considered before. And these are the things that are being put in their minds and in their thoughts. And and I mentioned it before, but the experiment of social media is playing out before our eyes. And and all of the, seems to me, the advances we made on accepting people, now it's turned back into everything is based on appearance and based on money. And it's so, it's troubling. I read a book a few months ago that was talking about the diminishing attention span of this generation. 
Now, that doesn't seem to be a big deal, and and we faced it when we were growing up. Well, because of TV and and the attention span is like 15 minutes long because that's how long the programs are before they go into commercials. Do you realize how fast our kids scroll? Let's just be honest. Do you realize how fast we scroll through social media? And how quick our attention changes and how difficult it is once you lose the ability to have a focus in your life, how difficult it is to get it back. And, 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 and it seems like that much of our world is now built on hype. It's built on appearance and we're a little bit in on our, over our head. And this is what I say like never before. We need the anchor of the ancient past of the old ways to keep us grounded in what God has for us. Because this is what the culture is saying. Live your own truth. And I'm just going to be very honest with you. I'm not making fun of anyone. I'm not diminishing anyone. But there's a lot of people that are living their own truths that, that aren't true. There's a lot of people that are living their own truths that, that, that in, in the years to come, they're going to be, why did I do that? Because there's been this release for them to live their own truth and do their own thing. And, and, and the truth is what God has said. I'm just old fashioned enough to say it. The truth is what God created us to be. God created us to live and and, and, and I want to talk about the, that here for the next few minutes. I, I want to talk about, first of all, there in your notes, we are what I would call a dynamic generation. And when I say dynamic, it's because we are a big and creative generation. We are a generation that has seen so much advance, probably more advances in the last hundred years than the 10,000 years before that put together. It, it, it is off the charts where we are going as far as knowledge and technology and advancements and in all of these things. And, and yet there is a God that is a God that sees each generation. He, he spoke in Exodus chapter 3 when he was speaking to Moses. And he said, say to the Israelites, the Lord your God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I think it's very noteworthy here that God has chosen to define himself based off of three generations. He's saying, I am a multi-generational God. I'm not just the God of Abraham, but I am also the God of Isaac and I am also the God of Jacob. And that gives me hope because what God is saying is I am the God of every generation and it doesn't matter how far they go away from me, I'm still there. And the thing that you'll see if you study any history is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their lives overlap. There were times that they sat around a fire together. There was a time where they had family moments. There was a time when they shared these stories and they were all alive at the same time and their lives really didn't have that much difference in them. I, I, uh, Jacob's life was not much different than Abraham's life. There wasn't a large leap in technology between the time that Abraham was herding sheep to the time that Jacob was herding sheep. It was the same. It was a, it was a, a set generation. It was a set world that they lived in. But, but the second point is 
Think about what a diverse generation we are living in. The, the world is made up of the most diverse generations in the history of the world. It's there in your notes, and I'm not going to take a long time about it, but, but we still have the, the silent generation, those that were born from 1928 to 1945, and I know that they're quickly passing. We, we had a funeral just last week of a 98-year woman that, that had many stories, and I can remember sitting listening to her stories, and, 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 and that generation is passing. And then there's the, the boomer generation from 1945 to 1960. And I, I caught the end of that, and I'm I'm at the end of the boomer generation. Then there's Generation X from 1965 to 1980, and, and I just want to tell you something about those three generations. Those three generations shared a life that was lived at a slower pace. It was a slower pace. There was there wasn't the technology that kept them. You, you know what the big deal was to get the newspaper. <laughs> That's where you got the news. And it was amazing because our daily newspaper shared more information with us than people 200 years ago would hear in their entire life. We thought that was amazing. We're getting this newspaper and we're hearing about things from all over. My goodness, by the time the newspaper gets to your home today, you've already seen all the news from all over the world. They lived at a slower pace. They, they shared faith. It was a faith-based society, culture, shared values. There was a lot of trust in, in companies. There was a lot of trust in government. There was a lot of trust in churches. There was, there was just a high level of trust and the direction that society was going in. There was a, a high level of morality, a, a high moral standard for the most part. And then... We see that the next generation, the millennial generation from 1981 to 1996, and then finally the Gen Z's from 1997 till now. We don't know when that's going to end, but, but their life is so different. Their life is very frantic or high-paced. Their life is, is, is where faith is at the margins. Their life is where trust in institutions like government and education and church is broken I'm thankful for, for everyone that is in that Gen Z generation. I'm thankful that you're at church today because I know that that is flowing against what your generation feels. And, and, and also that those last two generations have become very morally tolerant. And, and, and man, it started out in such a good place in my mind because it was where people were considered equal. And I still believe that. That is so strong that we as children of God should understand that everyone is God's creation and everyone has their value and their importance. But somehow that tolerance that was supposed to be for people being equal, now it is a tolerance for ideas. And if you disagree with anyone's ideas, well, you're canceled. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations with not much difference. Today, five very different generations living in the same world, many times in the same house. It's no wonder we're living in an uncomfortable time. It's no wonder that we are wrestling. It's no wonder that we're trying to come to terms and to grips. And, and man, I feel it all the time just when I'm talking to my children who love me and love God and, and still the difference and and I know, 
I know that some of you Gen Zers out there have already said, he is an old fogey. What is he doing talking about this kind of stuff? I'm talking about it because I feel like that there is something that we need to get here about the old past. And this is what I have a conviction about. I don't believe that we're passing on our stories like we should. Because the last point is that we are a disconnected generation. We are disconnected. Judges 17 and 6 says in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And we're living in a time where ideas have become a religion. We believe what we want to believe. We do what we want to do. And, and hey, as a result, there is this. We've stood at a crossroads and we've made some wrong decisions. I, I want you to hear this. And, and I'm not... I'm not saying this as a prophecy, but I, I recently read a study that, that nine out of 10 boys that are raised in church, when they get of a certain age, they'll never go back to church. Nine out of 10. Now, I've grown up in church and I've seen many of the friends that I had, you know, leave and, and, and not come back to church. But, but the thought that today the statistics are nine out of 10, that, that's startling. That, that, that's something that we should be thinking about. And, and, and listen, I think that there are a lot of areas where we could place blame on those things. Well, this isn't happening and this isn't taking place. But, but let me tell you something about blame. It has a way of just going around and around and around. And church, this is what I believe. Somebody has to take responsibility. If it's going to change, there has to be a moment of responsibility. And I, I know that this message is a little heavy and, and I'm not apologizing for that because there has to be this, this standing at the crossroads and looking. And we have to take on the mentality of, yes, there is a lot of things that are different in the world that I'm living in, but it is still the harvest field and I am still called by God to work in the harvest field. And I want to speak a word of encouragement to you parents that, that don't know what the next step is and, 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 and what's going on with, with your children and, and, and why are they thinking the way that they're thinking. I, I just want to give you a word of encouragement and also for all of the, the parents, uh, people here that will have children in the future. You, you have to understand that the one who created it all knows it all and there is still a work to be done in the harvest field. Yeah. And maybe the harvest field that God has called you to is the harvest field of your own home. Maybe this generational God who called you and saw when he called you how many children you would have and how many grandchildren you would have and how many great-grandchildren, maybe he called you to work that harvest. Luke 10 and 2, Jesus told the disciples the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There, there's such a big hook there. Jesus knows what he's doing. He, he knows that he's not just saying something where they pray and that somebody else will be sent. He knows that when we pray for the harvest field, he's going to send us. 
That's the hook. That if I really have a burden for the harvest field, this is what Jesus is going to say. You go. You do the work. You get your hands dirty. You get in that soil. You turn that soil. You, you cultivate growth. He knows that he's calling us. It's a, it's a generational mentality that the Lord wants us to have. Uh, the Apostle Paul says it several different places. I just picked one verse to share with you today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. This was talking about communion. We're going to take that here with Pastor Nick in just a few minutes. But but I, I love that part where he says, I'm passing on what I received from the Lord. And I think we just need to take a break right here and let me ask anybody in this place, is there anyone that has ever received anything from the Lord? I, I want to see your hands. I want to see you say, amen. I, 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 I have received things from the Lord. And, and so I have to I have to give that. And this is what happens if I am going to truly give that and if I'm going to, to be one of those people that have that <clears throat> generational mentality where I see what God wants to do in the next generation. Well, the first thing that I have to do is I have to personally receive something from God. I'm not just coming to church to punch the clock. I'm not just going to church to make an appearance. I'm not just appearing because I think it's a right thing to do. I'm going to church because there is a passion in my heart to receive something from the living God. I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for God's work to be done in my life. And, and I just want to say that we should be passionate about receiving something from God. We should be passionate about whatever is going on in our life. The most important thing is to get into the presence of God, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the failure is, I want to receive from God. And, and then I, I want to say that not only do we intentionally and, and very uh, uh, very um, on, on, on purpose receive something from God and, and put ourselves in those situations where we can receive something from Him, but then we intentionally pass it on to others. I'm telling people about the goodness of God. Nancy and I have some in incredible miracles in our ministry, in our personal lives. I, my, my son Benjamin, I, God spared his life two times. I mean, he was at the place where he could have easily lost his life and, and God spared him. One time when he was just about six months old or even younger than that, we went to the doctor and Benjamin had started um, this sickness where he couldn't keep anything down, but it wasn't just that he was thrown up. It was, uh, I don't want to be gross, but it was projectile. It was violent. It was something was wrong. And, and we went to the doctor and, and the doctor said, uh, look, this is the problem. There's a twist in his stomach or in his intestines. We don't know where it's at, but we're going to have to do surgery because he's not getting any. He, he was already little and, and he's just losing weight. And, and I remember Nancy and I walked out of the doctor's office and we were devastated. You know how it is if you had something like that said about your child. We're devastated that he's going to have to go through surgery. And I remember it was on the third floor of this doctor's building. We walked in, the, the, the door shut on the elevator. We were by ourselves, and we cried out to God. And I'm going to tell you that at the end of that short elevator ride, when we got to the ground floor, 
Benjamin was healed. It never happened again. I want to tell people that. Oh, I don't believe that kind of stuff. I, okay, good for you. I believe it because I've witnessed it with my eyes. I've seen it happen. Before we had any children, Nancy was involved in a very serious car accident. A car accident that left her almost lame, hard to walk. I, uh, if she came to a threshold that was just a half inch or a quarter of an inch like this stage, I, I would have to help her navigate, even stepping her foot on that. And constant pain for several months, about three months. And, and, and one Sunday night, just in a church service where we were worshiping God, the spirit, the spirit of the, she's going to the doctor three times a week for therapy and help and examinations. And in one moment, she went from cripple to dancing in the presence of God. God healed her. That's just a couple of the stories that I want to pass on so that people can understand that the God we're serving is alive. And, and let me say this, man, I've been preaching to you this year. I'm going to continue. Your influence is so incredibly powerful in your home. I, I read this statistic. If a family member comes to a Christ the, the influence that they have on the rest of the family coming to Christ, if it is a wife, there is an 18% chance that the rest of the family will come in. If it's a child, a child can come in. There's a 22% chance that the rest of that family will come in and be a part of what God wants to do. But if a father, if a dad comes to the Lord. There is a 94% chance that the rest of the family is going to come to Christ. Man, your influence is so big and so powerful. And, and, and I would just encourage you to tell the stories of, of God. Tell, tell about shooting the deer. Tell, tell about hitting the home run off of the 37-year-old plumber that was pitching slow, <laughs> underhand softball. So you tell those stories. But don't neglect telling about the goodness of God. Don't neglect. And, and I, I want to say this. It doesn't have to be, oh, gather around, children. Oh, I'm about to tell a story Ooh, of goodness of God. Tell it just like you tell everything else. Tell it with the same excitement that you tell about how you bought this car and fixed it up. Whatever the story is, tell it like it's just part of your life. It's just part of my life that God made these things happen in my life. It's just part of my life that God healed Benjamin, that God preserved his life. Another time we were in Mississippi and there was uh, about a hundred of our family members. Nancy is from a very large family and uh, Benjamin was playing outside and somehow he got in a car when it's 90 plus degrees outside, we're all in eating and my son Bo just happened to be outside walking by and he heard someone crying and he started looking around and couldn't find anyone. Finally, he went and saw that Benjamin was in the car. He opened the door, brought Benjamin in. He was dehydrated. He was sick. 
And, and look, we know what happens if a child is locked into a car. And, and Nancy and I are good parents. That wasn't something we did on purpose. It was him exploring. And, and I think all the time about how God preserved his life at that moment and how God saw the generations. Now he has a little boy coming, and that little boy is going to be named Thomas. And, and I know that there are stories that he's going to pass on of the goodness of God. Tell the stories. Let's 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 help. And I'm I'm going to close and wrap up here, and and and, and I'm going to talk about how to help the next generation. Help them by answering these three questions. It's in your notes. Let's 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 help them answer it. Let's first of all help them answer what is truth. That's what this generation is looking for. What is truth? And they're looking in a lot of places. And and, and this is what you need to understand that for every question. That there is out there, there is an answer in the word of God. Pastor, I don't know the Bible that well. Google it. (laughs) Google. What does the Bible say about this? Learn to give those answers that are based on the word of God, that are the principles of God. Uh, Jesus said it like this in John 17 and 7. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Teach the Bible. I, I know. I know it's not popular now to tell the Bible stories of long ago. I, I, I know that probably you, you, you don't know for sure. Should I tell that story of Goliath and David? And it seems unreasonable now. And, and it seems, tell the story because there's so much truth in them. Tell the story. I'm going to tell you something else. Bring your kids to church. Let them learn how to worship. Teach them to worship. Answer live questions by answering the way the Bible answers the ancient past of what the Word of God has to say. The second thing, if I'm going to be multi-generational, if I'm going to help the next generation, I have to teach them where they belong. Answer that question. Where do I belong? Psalms 68 and 6, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Tell stories about the goodness of God and help them belong at church. I'm going to go off script here for a few minutes, and I want to say something, and I want you to listen to me. Every mother and father that is here, every mother, potential mother and father that is here, I am begging you to not be critical of the church. I'm begging you. I'm not telling you that the church is perfect. I'm not telling you that I'm perfect. I'm not telling you that our ministries are perfect. I'm I'm, I'm saying that there's going to be times that you're going to be disappointed. There's going to be times when it doesn't work out the way that you want to. And it's going to be times they don't sing the songs that you want them to sing. But don't be critical because those little minds catch that critical spirit and they never get it out of their head. It doesn't matter what church you go to, that church is not going to be good enough. And I've seen people that just had lunch over the pastor and had lunch over the youth pastor and just sat and just dissected and, and the damage that you are doing. Just talk about the goodness of God. I, I've got failures and I've got faults, but he is perfect. I, I've got the mistake. I can't even say crossroads right, but God knows. And he's good. Tell the stories of the goodness of God. 
Tell, my dad always said, there are some people that are looking for a perfect church and they'll never find it because churches are made up of people. And the other thing he said is if you ever find a perfect church, please don't go there. The moment you go there, you ruin its perfection. Because <laughs> we're human. I'm begging you. Instead of criticizing, let them know the church is the place that we belong. I, 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 you, you may have things that you don't like, but, but churches, our, our children need church. Our, our children need to go to like kids. They need to hear about the love of God. And then the last question is, does my life matter? Does my life matter? In a world that is being overtaken by depression, suicide, addictions, our children need to understand that their life matters, that there is a purpose for their life. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. Just start showing them the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Start showing them how God took these insignificant people that were in the scripture and how he changed their life and how he used them. And then don't just tell them, but start seeing in your own children what God sees in them. I pray that every one of you would get a prophetic gift where you start seeing what God sees in your children. And don't just see it. Start affirming it. God's got something for you. God's got a plan for your life. God's got something that he wants to do in your life. Yes. And I'm, I'm going to tell you one more thing and I'm closing is that when you see it and you re, uh, affirm it then also challenge it. Challenge it when they start walking in a path that they shouldn't walk in. I, I think parents have gotten to the place where we're afraid of correcting and directing and, and, and listen, this is something that has happened for all of humanity is that parents and grandparents have guided their children and their grandchildren. And this is what's sad. We may be in the first generation where social media is raising our kids instead of us raising our kids. And I say, take it back. Challenge them. Give them the truth. And let the word of God be done in their life. Let's stand together. I, I, I want to... I'm, I'm going to say this because I know how the enemy works. Some of you parents that are sitting in this room that my message has done nothing but make you feel guilty because your, parent, your children have not maybe follow the way or live the way that you feel like they need to. I would never in a million years want to put any guilt or shame on you. I'm just telling you that our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Claude Pascal. That was my granddad's name. No wonder they called him CP. Who wants to be called Claude Pascal? I don't know. 
he's the God of C.P. Kilgore. He's the God of James Kilgore. He's the God of Jim Kilgore. He's the God of Bo Kilgore. He's the God of Ira Kilgore. He's the God of Benjamin Kilgore. He's the God of Thomas Kilgore. He's a multi-generational God. And when my grandfather, C.P. Kilgore, came to the Lord, don't you know that God saw from my grandfather making that move in the mountains of Idaho, there's 53 pastors, preachers, missionaries that are his sons, his grandsons, his great-grandsons, his great-great-grandsons. God sees, God knows, and God has a plan. And for you parents that you feel like, well, I've done everything I could, it still didn't end up. Do not lose faith. Keep believing. And don't be afraid when your children come around to tell them about the goodness of God. If they're brave enough to tell you about everything that they're a part of, then don't be afraid to share the goodness of God in their life. They need to stand at a crossroads someday and they need to look. Nancy and I spent 10 long years. I don't know where she is, but there you are. We spent 10 long years with Pastor Bo wandering the wilderness. 10 long years where he was gone out living a life that we could not comprehend. God is faithful. And I'm going to just speak a word of faith. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Nick, I didn't leave you a lot of time. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Is that how it goes? Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I want to pray for you. If you're with your family, I want you to take them by the hand. Pastor Nick, come on up here. Lord, thank you so much for today. And we know that you are a generational God. And this is what we pray. We pray that you would help us. We pray that you would walk with us. We pray that you would give us wisdom. And we, as we stand at crossroads, we pray that you would give us the wisdom that we would turn the right way, that we would go the right way, and that we would follow that path of God that leads rest for our souls. I pray it for everyone that's in this building and everyone that's listening online. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.